If you would, grab a Bible. If you don't have one, raise your hand. Maybe our ushers are back there. We'll, we'll bring you one. Or if you have a smartphone, you can take that out and open the YouVersion app. And by all means, uh, open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. We are in a series. If you need a Bible, by the way, raise your hand. Our ushers are ready, and uh, they'll be glad to bring you one. We need one down here in front for this young, two, two young gentlemen. Yeah, let's get them. They're going to share one in the name of Jesus. Um, we're in a series called The Return that we started at Easter, and we're going to live in this same story for four weeks, which is really great because we get to marinate deeply in the story of the prodigal son. And what the word prodigal means, you have to come next week to find out in its fullness uh, but really, it just means wasteful. But the fullness of it we'll share next week as we continue this series. But today, I want to read the story because last week I just told the story, if you were here. But today we're going to read Luke chapter 15, beginning in verse 11 and going on to Luke 15, 32. Are you ready? Say yes. yes. Say yes. yes. Come on, 9 a.m. crowd. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So the father divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had and set off for a distant country. And there, say the word, squandered. Sorry, not there, squandered. Is it up there? Squandered. <laughs> I confused you, my fault. Squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country and... He began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. Not even the pigs. Like, here you go. Verse 17, when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went with his father, went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile... The older son was in the field, and when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him, hey, man, what's going on? Verse 27, your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed a fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in, so his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. 
the nerve. Verse 31, my son, the father said, you're always with me and everything I have is yours. You wanted that goat, you could have had the goat. Just take the goat. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this, brothers of, this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Let us pray. Lord, we bless your word. We thank you for the reading of it. We believe that when your word is read, it will not return void. It produces a harvest in us. So God, we just wait upon you. What do you have to say today? Holy Spirit, speak. Your people, your servants are listening. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So last week, we introduced the return, really the great return. Each person, maybe yourself, but certainly the prodigal, returning to the Father when we come to our senses and realize our way is working. It's not working at all. So I got to return to the Father, but I expect a harsh reception I expect the spiritual whipping only to be met with the sweetest of grace, the enveloping hug, embrace of grace. No matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, no matter what you become, the Father says, come home. Not only does he say, come home, come home right now, right this minute. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, welcome home. We desire you home. That message is good last Sunday on Easter Sunday. It's good tomorrow. It's good every day. It's good right now. If you've been out in the wilderness, just stop listening and just meditate on this the rest of the day. The Father welcomes you home. You. Me. Praise be to God. Today what I want to do is study the gifts that the Father bestows upon the Son during his return. For each of these gifts has very specific meaning and purpose to the story. They're so important. The three gifts signify the heart of the Father to the Son. And really what they signify to the Son is how the Father sees him. It's a picture of what the Father thinks about the Son. So the Son's receiving these gifts and He's receiving a message with each of these gifts. And may it be into your heart today the same as you experience these three gifts. Can you also understand? Please today understand this. Today, right now, your Heavenly Father wants to put a gift into your spirit to bestow upon you a new adornment some sort of garment, some sort of ring, some sort of sandals, perhaps. And so, if we could, if you'd be so kind as to actually do this, position your heart to receive a gift from Dad, your Heavenly Father, and decide as I'm reading through these, wow, that one is for me. And maybe all three are for you, which is totally fine. He gave all three to the son. You can take all three. But at least when you leave here today, take one of the gifts with you. Amen. Let it fall upon you. But you've got to position yourself to receive it. Otherwise, you're going to hear it as facts and information as opposed to invitation and inspiration. God's trying to speak to you through these gifts to say, this is how I see you and receive you and love you. Are you ready? Let's start with the robe. Everyone say robe. Yeah, it's not that God 
gives him a robe. The father gives his son a robe. It's that he gives them, him the best robe. And if you were alive in Jesus' time and they talked about the best robe, everyone would have known who the best robe belonged to in the house. The best robe belonged to the father. So you could reread this scripture and when, the, when the dad says to the servant, give him the best robe, what he was saying is, give him my robe. Mine. And I don't know if you grew up in a house where dad had a chair. All right? In our house, it was the living room, it was the lazy boy, and that was dad's chair. Rarely did you sit in it, not because dad was mad about it, like, get out of my chair. We just all kind of knew, like, it's where dad sits. So no one else sat there. Maybe it's at the table for you. Dad had, like, the head of the table. This was his chair, whatever the case would be. And occasionally, just occasionally, dad would say, why don't you sit in my seat? And you're like, oh. <laughs> right? Thanks, Chris. <laughs> what is dad communicating when he says, take my seat? He's saying, take the place of honor. Like you're special today for some reason. Maybe it's your birthday. Maybe you did something great at school. I don't know what it was. But dad said, you can have my place. When the father put the robe on his son, and it's the first thing that he did, he let no longer than 10 seconds go by before he said to the son, I honor you. We've said this before here, and I could say it 100 times and it'd still be good. But do you know what the opposite of honor is? Shame. How is the son returning to the father? He's expecting to be shamed. He's coming in shame. And the father doesn't let that sit there for 10 seconds to say, I'm going to honor you by giving you my robe and placing it upon your shoulders. In our day and age, shame has, I mean, it, it's at the zenith of its existence. Like it's all the rage is shame. You know what we call it today, shame? Cancel culture. That's what shame is. You are so despicable and vile to me that I'm going to shame you out of my life. You don't exist, you're out. It seems it's been um, celebrated even more recently with the release of this very contentious song where a family refuses to talk about one of their family members. <laughs> you laugh, so do I. <laughs> Haven't seen the movie, but I've heard the song. Oh, have I heard the song. Where a family is so embarrassed by their family uncle, I think he is, Uncle Bruno, his weird ways that they've canceled him. They don't talk about Bruno. By the way, just a fun fact, when Disney, Pixar, whoever made this movie, I don't even know, wanted to cast Bruno, they asked us, and our Bruno, who runs all of our tech and production, is who they chose. I mean, here's a picture that proves it. <laughs> Same guy, minus the glasses. When I asked Bruno if we could do this today, he made that face. <laughs> and he said, I'm going to use it to my advantage. And he put up that face with that message. 
Join the tech team. <laughs> it's subliminal, but I made it opposite of subliminal, liminal, I don't even know. Thanks, Bruno. I wanted him to walk on stage with the music playing, but this is all I got. Here's the point, the robe signifies honor. Lin-Manuel Miranda, when he wrote the song, We Don't Talk About Bruno, he called it a gossip number because there are things family members do not talk about in front of each other, much less the public. I wonder all the years that the prodigal son was in the distant country and his name came up at home, what did they say? Oh, we don't, we don't talk about him. It's too embarrassing. It's too painful. It's too shameful. Shh, don't talk about the prodigal son. Right? Hmm. But that's not what the father does. He's not worried about the family name. He's worried about his son. And out of love, the first thing that he does is cancels cancel culture. <laughs> he cancels shame. Puts the robe on his shoulders. As a child of God, I want you to know a few things. You are honored and not shamed. You are the head and not the tail. You are the top and not the bottom. You are cherished and not scorned. You are worthy and not worthless. You are desired, so desired by your Father, not shunned. You're honored, you're honored, you're honored. Let me say this to you very clearly. Look at me in the eyes. There's no shame. There is no shame. There is no shame. Paul wrote it in Romans chapter 8, verse 1. He said, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's no shame. I think it was Brene Brown who wrote this. I'm not positive. But the world says shame on you. God says shame off you. Off. If you've done something that you feel is embarrassing to yourself or to your family, if you feel like you have this cloud hanging over you because of decisions made, something broken that people look at you when you walk down the road like, oh, there goes that guy. The scarlet letter, God says in the name of Jesus, no shame, and he flips it to honor. I honor you. You are set apart. You are special to me. Here's my robe. Hmm. Do you need that one? Is that the one you need to receive today? If so just grab it. Like, yes. I've been walking around feeling shameful about what I've done, thinking people look at me funny, but I'm wearing the king's robe. I'm honored. What's the second one? It's the ring. Everyone say ring. ring. The ring is a gesture of authority that comes from the one in authority to the person that he gives his ring to. It's like a signet ring. It's not like a signet ring. It is a signet ring where the one in authority would put it on a finger and say, hey, now you speak for me. All the authority that I have as the king, as the pharaoh, as the god, whatever, I am now bestowing it upon you, and I do that through the ring. We see this multiple times in Scripture. We see it between Joseph and Pharaoh, Genesis chapter 41. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, this is not Joseph, Jesus' dad. This is Joseph of the Old Testament. He said, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Then... 
Pharaoh took his signet ring from his finger and put it on Joseph's finger. He dressed him in robes of fine linen and put him a gold chain around his neck. He had him ride in a chariot as his second in command. And the people shouted before him, make way. Thus he put him in charge of the whole land of Egypt. And they knew it because he was wearing the ring of authority. Happened again in the book of Esther. Mordecai, Esther's uncle, he's kind of like this out and out in the courtyard beggar kind of guy, but he does something that we can all do, by the way, which is he remains obedient to the Lord his God no matter what. And we fast forward to the story, the end of Esther, where Mordecai is exalted. The king takes off his signet ring, King Xerxes, which he had reclaimed from Haman, a bad dude, and presented it to Mordecai. He puts the ring on Mordecai and Esther appointed him over Haman's estate. So the ring has authority to it, but the purpose isn't authority. It's not just so that I can have authority and feel bold and feel big and feel important. The purpose of the father putting the ring on the son, the purpose of the father today putting the ring on you is to remind you that there is a mission that he believes, trusts, that you will accomplish. Authority signifies mission, and the ring signifies authority. You have the authority to act on my behalf, the Father is saying to the Son. You have my authority to accomplish the goal of our house. You have the power of eternity. You don't have to sit on the bench because you've been out wandering and shame on you and sit over here and you can't do anything for our family anymore. But instead, I'm restoring to you the authority of the house from day one. You have a part in this to play. I don't know about you, but there's so much that tries to take us out, get us on the sidelines to make us believe that we have no mission and we have no authority because we've been sidelined, so to speak. I've been praying this week and I've been debating all morning whether or not to say this, but I'm going to say it. I believe there are people here that have walked in long seasons of ministry, whether that's full-time ministry, it's your job, or it's as a volunteer in some high capacity and something has taken you out. And God says to you this morning, I've given you my authority ring. I did not intend for you to sit on the sidelines. Now, there's something about rest. If there's a season of rest that's going on, rest. But if something from the devil has tried to take you out, then I'm here to remind you today that the Lord gave you his authority ring. And he gave it to you because he believes in you and has called you to mission to be a part of what he's doing. That's specifically for people in ministry, but really it's for all of us. If you feel like anything has sidelined you, the Father is giving him the authority ring to say, you're not on the sidelines. You're a part of our house and have a duty and an honor and a privilege to accomplish the mission of the house. I place this ring of authority on you. The first time that I preached as an adult. That sounds kind of funny. What I mean to say is I did 12 years of student ministry and I preached to thousands of kids over those 12 years. Every Sunday, every Wednesday, preaching two messages a week for 10, 12 years. And then I got another job at the Crossing Church and I was preaching to adults. That's what I mean 
as preaching as an adult. And the very first time that I preached at the crossing, the crossing has 5,000 people in it, by the way, and I'm walking out on the stage and I'm like shaking like a leaf. Actually, I'm not on the stage, I'm backstage like, oh my gosh, I'm used to speaking to little people who will laugh at my weird jokes and that can get away with anything. Now I gotta preach to adults who are just gonna look at me like, are you serious? Give us the real preacher guy back, like whatever. So I'm backstage, and I may have told this story before here, but as I'm about to walk on stage, one of the elders at the church said, go in the strength that you have, mighty warrior. Speaking the words that are spoken in the book of Judges, chapter 6, to Gideon. And it stiffened my spine in a good way. And I walked out there with some ferocity in my spirit. And as I was studying this scripture this week, the Lord said to me this. That moment, I was putting my ring of authority on you. I was giving you the power to do what I've called you to do, the authority of the house. I put it on your finger. That's what happened in that moment. You may not have recognized it at the time, but that's exactly what was happening. And every time now that I get up to preach, I feel the same stiffening in my spine to go and deliver what God has put in my spirit to deliver based on his authority because I'm wearing the ring. Now listen, I ain't special. I mean, we're all special in our own way. I'm not trying to demean myself. But you have the ring too. If you would receive it and put it on your finger. And wear it, knowing that God doesn't see you on the sideline as a worthless piece. You're not able, you're not, you're not ready yet. You're, you kind of need to wait, go through some more whatever. He's put the ring on your finger. He's counting on you, giving you the honor and privilege of being part of the mission. I wrote it this way. If you've been on the sidelines, know this. As a child of God, he entrusts you to the mission of his heart. You hold the gospel in your hands. You hold the answer to the question. You hold the power of life. You have authority of his name to trample on the head of the enemy, to cast out demons, to heal the sick. The ring gives you authority, so use it. Use it for his kingdom. Whatever you do, use it. Amen? Is that what you need to receive today? Is that the one? You've been on the sidelines and God says, I've given you authority to trample on the head of the devil, to storm the gates of hell. Woo, sign me up. Here's the last one, sandals. Everyone say sandals. First, note this, the son has no sandals when he returns. Otherwise, the father wouldn't have said, get him shoes. Because if he has shoes, the father wouldn't have said it. So we can make the calculated, educated assumption that he's not got shoes on when the father calls for shoes. Here's why that matters. Free people in Jesus' time wore sandals. Slaves wore none. Free people wore sandals. The slaves wore none. Those with sandals were walking in freedom while those who had no shoes were walking in bondage. The son, during his trip away, had become in bondage. He thought he was running into freedom in his wild living, but instead it put him in chains. And as he arrives home, that's the condition of his spirit, his soul, and even his body. He's got no shoes on. He's a slave. And the father says, not my son. Not for a second longer. You put shoes on him to remind him and for the world to know 
my son, my children, my daughters are free. They're slave to nothing and no one, in bondage to nothing and no one. The sandals signify freedom that comes as a result of relationship. You got to know somebody to get these sandals. You got to know somebody. I, I was a few, well, maybe like six years ago, we had some family friends. They're not family, but they're so close. They're like aunts and uncles, that kind of family friends in town. And uh, they wanted to go to Disney. Shocker, right? It's the middle of summer. Uh, Space Mountain had like a 19-hour wait to ride it. Something ridiculous. Carousel of Progress had a 30-second wait. I don't understand it. Air conditioning for 20 minutes? Sign me up, Mo. Come on. I'm not, am I the only one who rides Carousel of Progress strictly for the air conditioning? Amen. I don't see Grandma playing a video game anymore. Where was I? Oh, so it's the middle of summer. It's hot. It's a long time waiting. And they want to go to Disney. I'm like, it's, I mean, we can go. You're going to pay like $7,000 to wait in lines, though. If you, I mean, if you want to, we'll go. Like, well, what else can we do? Like, well, we can go to Gatorland. I hear it's kind of cool. Like, rocker for shocker, right? Let's go. They're like, all right, we go. We go, and it's packed. It's so full. There's so many cars. We had to park in the way back. If you haven't been there, they got like a parking in the back, and they got the back entrance. And we're standing in this long line, me and two of my kids. Christine was home with a brand new baby, and this family with their two kids. And one of their sons, like, I told you this is, we should have gone to Disney. <laughs> he says that. And right as he says that, this guy walks by in a Gatorland uniform. We should have gone to Disney. The guy's like, excuse me. He stops, starts talking to us. He's like, hey, um, I'm going to guarantee you're going to have more fun here today than you have at Disney. I'm like, cool. He's like, tell you what. And he writes on a piece of paper. He says, hand this to the ticket lady when you get there. I look down. It says a name. And it says, like, uh, extraordinary pass, whatever. I can't remember. Like, super great pass. Grande Amande pass. I don't even remember what. Something like that. I'm like, okay, I don't know what it means. We get to the ticket counter. I say, this guy gave me this piece of paper. And she looks at it. She's like, oh. I'm like, who is that guy? She said, that's the owner of Gatorland. He was walking by and heard us talking about the devil. I mean, Disney. Yeah. Listen. Listen, I, I love me some Disney. I'm not making a statement about Disney. I'm making a statement about this guy. Disney's his enemy, right? He's like, what'd you say? And he stopped and he said, I want you to have the best of the best of the best for free. We turned in that paper. They gave us this booklet of stuff. We walked around with coupons. We're throwing horse meat. You probably don't want to know that. At the Gators. Or dangling kids over gators' mouths, you know, like. <laughs> we had the best time because we just happened to run into the right person at the right time. It would have cost us if we didn't meet the man. 
but we met the guy and he gave us everything for free. Do I need to put two and two together? You got it. The sandals signify freedom as a result of relationship. You got to know somebody. Thanks be to God that this guy talked to us. It's the same way with you. Provenient grace. Provenient grace is God's grace that goes before. It's God's grace that pursues you and says, I love you and want to give you some sandals. I want to give you the grande pass, the gator. I want to give it to you for free. One of my favorite moments in student ministry happened uh, one night. We, we had a youth room upstairs, but this church, I was at a United Methodist church, had this really cool old chapel. And about halfway into my youth ministry years, I realized we need to get our kids into the intimate presence of God. So every student ministry night, we would be upstairs, and the last 30 minutes, we would transition down to the chapel. And it was incredible what happened to the kids when they entered the chapel. They knew this is a place of God. They come expecting after a season. They're like, we love being in the chapel. Well, one night we went in the chapel and we sang this now old song, but it was brand new. I can't remember all the words, but I do remember this. It says, I've been through the water and I've come out clean and I've got new clothes to cover me. And then it says these words, and you don't put your old shoes on your brand new feet when you've been through the water. We sang this song. I explained what it means. Kids are emotionally and getting saved, all sorts of great things are happening. And the whole time it's happening, I've got my youth team outside. And I'm telling you, there's like 120 kids in this chapel. It's packed in there. There's 240 shoes outside. They took all of them away. And every single one of them got a new pair of shoes outside. They were from Gap. They were flip-flops. They were like $1.50 each. However... <laughs> They were new shoes. And the kids walked out, they're like, we got new shoes. They're running around like, ah. Hey, your shoes are still on your feet. We don't have flip-flops outside for you. But I do have the God of the universe present in the person of Jesus Christ, speaking to you through the power of the Holy Spirit to say, you got shoes on your feet? You got shoes that give you access to the glory and the splendor of God Almighty. Do you need to receive the sandals from Father God today? If so, receive it. Receive it today. I'm going to pray. And as I pray, I'm going to walk through all three of these. And I want you to know, when I get to this third one, what I'm offering you today is salvation in Jesus Christ. That's what the sandals represent. And if you've never received those, today's your day. Put them on. Walk out of here in freedom. But first we're going to pray over the robe of shame, of honor, really. And we're going to pray over the calling, the ministry, the authority of the ring. And then we'll end praying over the sandals and the shoes. Would you bow your heads? Would you close your eyes? As I say often, we do not take this up as a religious position. This is a position of submission to God. I'm here to listen to you. I'm eager to hear from you. I'm bowing my head in your presence because you are almighty God. Father, would you just speak now? 
Holy Spirit, we welcome you. Your voice is the only voice we desire to hear. What is it that you're calling me to? Each individual asking the question, are you wanting today to give me the robe of honor? Are you wanting today to give me the ring of your authority? Are you wanting today to give me the sandals of freedom? Just let the Lord speak to you. Which is it? Or maybe it's all of them. If you're here today and you say, I've felt shameful. What I've done, I'm embarrassed by. I feel like people look at me strangely or I look at myself in the mirror strangely. God says to you, there's no condemnation. There is no shame. You are honored in this house. And even as you sit here, feel the robe drift gently across your shoulders. Maybe you feel it land heavy in a good way, warm, enveloping. Or maybe here today and you've been on the sidelines, something has sidelined you, something has taken you out. And God says, I have placed the ring of my authority on you so that you can walk in the fullness of the mission of the gospel. You're not on the bench. You're straight in the middle of the field. You have the authority to trample on the head of the enemy, to storm the gates of hell for my name. If that's you, then feel a stiffening in your back. Feel the ring placed upon your finger, the splendor of God's authority entering your veins and walk with a charge in your heart. Go in the strength that you have, mighty warrior. Amen. And finally today, if you have been walking in bondage, if you've been walking outside of a relationship with God, then know this, he has a gift of grace for you for free. You need pay nothing, you need earn nothing. Not by your behavior of good or bad deeds can you earn the Father's love. He loves you and extends to you grace, mercy, forgiveness, and most of all, relationship with him forever. Your soul going on forever with him as you receive salvation through faith in Jesus. The Bible is clear, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, you will be saved. Saved from your sins, saved from an eternity in hell, and saved from a life without the power of God here on earth. So all together in the house, I would just like every voice to confess the same thing. I'm gonna count to three, then I'm gonna ask you to say, Jesus is Lord. Ready, one, two, three, everyone together. Jesus is Lord. Now, if you've made that confession today for the first time, I want you with the boldness of Christ to do one last thing. I'm gonna ask you to raise your hand when I count to three. That's just to signify to the Lord, yeah, God, me. I'm responding today. I hear your call today. I want your sandals on my feet now. I want the freedom of Jesus Christ today. If that's you on the count of three, just raise your hand. One, two, three. Anywhere in the house today. Thank you. I see you, my strong brother. Any others today? If 
thank you, God, for your spirit moving amongst us. We bless your holy name. We thank you for adorning us with a robe, a ring, and these sandals. They are the wardrobe of life, abundant life. And we bless you for it. In the mighty name of Jesus, everyone together saying amen, amen, amen. Praise be to God. Amen.